World Wide Web has long been host to copied and pasted stories of an apocryphal nature. These stories came to be known as Copyvasta, and then the creepy variant emerged. Welcome to Creepy Podsta, the Creepy Pasta Podcast. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm the host of it. My name is Jeff, and you're, you probably just last week heard us talking about a movie. Uh, I think if my memory of the schedule is correct, you're hearing this, um, 11 weeks from now. Uh, right now it's, it's June, uh, where we are here in the distant past. It is, um, June 22nd. And then, uh, what is 11 weeks? Is this like September? One, two, three, four, five. Wow, there's, okay, there's gonna be, uh, a bunch of Thursdays in, uh, no, I'm mis, I'm counting wrong. It has the wrong thing. Hi, okay. There were, f- there were four, Thursdays in June, and in July, there will also be four Thursdays. Uh, so we've got another five there, and uh, August, though, has five Thursdays, so I think that you're hearing this in September, uh, dear audience. Um, and it's, boy, just doing these marathons. I started editing the first one, which uh, is going to go up next Thursday from here in the past, but you'll have heard it two and a half months ago. But... <laughs> Boy, uh, this is actually my last little batch of recordings before episode 150, so I'm trying to think of what I can do for episode 150 that I can do between now and the end of August, when I will no longer have time to record episodes of this show. Uh, it's Maybe I'll, I'll read you all a nice book or something. That's not a thing. I could read... Um, I was supposed to produce an audiobook of my collection of short stories, Unknowing, and I never did. I got two of the stories in audio format, which, to be fair, the Kickstarter reward said I would make some of them into audio stories, and two is some. <laughs> uh, no one has complained about that or the digital art book never being produced. I think people just gave me money to be nice. Uh, I'm not sure anybody who ordered it actually read it. Uh, we had 75 backers. Uh, uh, only like three or four people backed for the digital only rewards. I got the digital book out and the physical books out, and that's all fine. But maybe I'll finally produce the audiobook version of it, and that'll be episode 150 of this show. That would be pretty long, though. That could be like a five hour episode or something. Um, we'll see. Uh, maybe I'll read just my story from that, because uh, I, I think that my story would lend itself well to an audio format because it has a lot of creepy imagery in it, which is sort of how I approach horror as a creator, because uh, I'm not into... it's. I want the ideas to be creepy, but also you can just present a mundane thing in a very direct way and it will be very scary. Like, if you get an audience primed and you are like, alright, this is a horror video game, and then you put them in a dimly lit hallway, they'll instantly be scared. Whereas if you're like, alright audience, this is Grand Theft Auto 6, and you put them in a dimly lit hallway, they'll be like, nah, this isn't scary. It's not supposed to be scary, and so it's not. And it could be the same hallway. Um, my point is, 
uh, I don't know what my point is. Please welcome my guest to the show, Louisa Heron. Hello. Thank you for having me on. Of course. Thank you for volunteering to talk about three creepypastas <laughs> right in a row so that I can, um, in a mad dash, like edit and post all of these in the next two months. Um, I already, I'm, I'm, I'm a week, we only do, uh, you're my co-host on Seeing Reddit, we only do those, like, a week ahead of time, and I already have posted both of the ones we have recorded. Like, I have the next one scheduled to, to auto-post, so I can sort of get in the groove of doing things ahead of time. Um, Mm -hmm. by the time the audience is, by the time the audience is hearing this, the audio quality of Seeing Reddit will have gotten worse, because Matt will be editing it again, and he doesn't know all the tricks I do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Take that, Matt. He wouldn't like to hear that. He doesn't listen. He doesn't listen to this show. He'll never hear it. (laughs) Audience, this Uh, is going to be our secret. Don't knock on us. (laughs) I was going to say, doing that show, it was so hard not to interrupt you when you were doing your intro because that's mainly what we do on that show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm fine when people interrupt me on this show. It makes the intro end up being way longer, which means we don't have to talk about the bad stories as much. Uh, speaking of bad stories, the one we're talking about this week is called On a Hill. Uh, it's available on creepypasta.com. Um, it's also available, I think, as a book on Amazon. And it's by Michael Whitehouse, uh, whose website seems to be facebook.com slash ghastly tales presents. That's ghastly with a G-H at the beginning, not spelled like how the Pokemon is. Uh, is there, yeah, there's, it's G-H-A-S-T-L-Y. There's no E in there, like I thought maybe there could be. No. Uh, no. Boy, anyway. Uh, <laughs> this. So, I was going to... Go oh, ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, tying into what you said earlier about, like, if you're told a dim hallway is scary or not can color how you perceive it, uh, knowing that this story is uh, by someone who's not a professional story writer made me want to nitpick it way more <laughs> than I <laughs> probably should. So it was hard to sort of get into the story at first, because I really wanted to nitpick a lot of the language. Yeah, that is a problem with me, too, because I... Um, I do write things, but, like, I'm not a professional at it. I'm certainly not as popular of a writer as, uh, as this person whose name I already forgot, and I'm scrolling to the bottom of the page again in White a mad dash. Michael. It sounds Michael a bit White like House. a fake name. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's not. I'm sorry yeah. if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Uh, yeah, sometimes authors <laughs> listen, and, um, Listen, uh, you don't have to. If if <laughs> if we're doing an episode of this show about your story, my recommendation is actually that you don't listen to it because it might make you feel bad. Because it's, like I I well, <laughs> let me turn the mirror on you for a second. And if you found out someone was doing a podcast about something you wrote, you definitely would listen, even though it might make you feel bad, wouldn't you? Uh, I don't know. It depends. I would listen to a different episode <laughs> of their show and see how mean they are first. Uh, so my recommendation, Michael Whitehouse, is go listen to a different episode of the show that isn't about a story that you wrote, but maybe about a creepypasta that you like or think is about the same level of quality as your story. And if you think that we are too mean to that person, don't listen to stop listening to this one. Seeing Reddit is probably more your speed. Oh God, unless you're a subscriber to any of the subreddits we've covered. Uh, yeah, that's probably not safe either. Yeah. If you actually know, so we gained a fan from our Bionicle episode. 
That um, is very good. Yeah. I hashtagged it Bionicle and someone listened to it, enjoyed it, followed me, retweeted it. Um, who was Absolutely. just like going through Bionicle hashtags because they're a Bionicle fan. Uh, Bionicle news update for any Bionicle heads out there. Uh, a cancelled but completed video game that was supposed to come out in like 2002 uh, recently got a release because some fans like got the final code and they released their Bionicle game. So um, <laughs> if, you're, if you're into that... <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I should have saved that for the show where, you know, it's a crossover. Uh, let's, start, <laughs> let's start talking about On a Hill. Uh, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll start summarizing it. As you said, um, some of the language I was like, you worded that incorrectly. At, po- yeah. at, at points, I was like, you worded that incorrectly. And at other points, I was like, that's not, I don't think a person would say it that way, even though it's <laughs> technically not wrong. Yeah, the, it's the problem that smart people sometimes have, where they're smart, but not f- technically uh, proficient, where they have the ability to be a good writer. You can see it in there. But the language is just a little too flowery, and words are used slightly incorrectly. Yeah, it's yeah. a little bit frustrating. So start telling us just the events of this story. We'll, we'll try to be brief because it's kind of a long one, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, uh, I get a bit confused because there's a person who meets another person who then tells their story as a flashback. So, uh, our protagonist is staying in a small Scottish inn and um, ah, I forget what his job is. He's in real estate maybe? Uh, I thought he was some kind of writer. Oh, maybe. Okay. Uh, yeah, he says he's on. He's doing writing assignments, uh, researching an article. I don't know if it says what kind of writing uh, okay. our narrator does, but um, <laughs> he mentions a bunch of just like he's uh, taking notes for writing assignments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, he it seems to be just a sleepy little town, but he meets a man who is in real estate who says that he can't leave the town and all the other people in town seem to be a bit weird around him, avoiding him, not making eye contact. And so this guy tells our protagonist his story, which is that he, that there is a hill in town, like a small mountain, that is uh, known to be sort of cursed or creepy and people will not go near it and children have disappeared there. And this real estate guy decides he's going to go check it out for real estate purposes. (laughs) And uh, he climbs the hill and some terrible things happen to him up there. Should I get into it? Yeah, let's get into what terrible (laughs) things happen, because, um, boy, the whole thing, uh... Are are you at all familiar with the video game Outlast? Have you, like, heard of it or seen anything about it? No. Okay, so uh, people in the audience will probably be familiar because it's a somewhat popular recent indie horror game, and the whole thing of it is, it's, like, in the first one, you are just, like, a journalist, I guess, and you're taking a video camera with a night vision thing, and that's it, and you're going to this shut-down, supposedly haunted insane asylum which is the most extremely obvious horror premise i've ever seen Mm -hmm. and then a bunch of extremely obvious horror things happen to you in the game and it's very scary um (laughs) and this felt like one of those like it's that obvious of a horror setup like oh everybody doesn't Mm -hmm. go to that hill because there's a spooky church there and then this guy goes to the spooky church and all of the expected spooky church things happen (laughs) yeah i got the feeling that it 
was maybe like a story or a game or a movie I wasn't familiar with because it had sort of a specific kind of tone to it. I don't know what that was. Uh, yeah, I think that probably Silent Hill is the biggest. I I think that for uh, budding horror writers in in this day and age, well, I guess also five years ago when this story was posted, um, like because the first Silent Hill came out in I think 1998 or something. Uh, I think that is the biggest. Like, in the way, if you were a writer uh, around World War II times, you were like, oh, gotta get me some of that unknowable horror in my story. Uh, <laughs> now, if you're a horror writer, you're like, ooh, gotta have uh, spooky, sp spooky faceless monsters in, like, a normal place that isn't mm -hmm. always haunted-seeming, but sometimes seems super haunted. Oh, yeah, and the, uh, I haven't played Silent Hill, but I know, that, like, in this story, and I, yeah, I think in that game, there are things where it sort of messes with your perception, like yeah. you're not sure about distances or spatial relationships. Yeah, you'll have a lot of times when you, the player, are like, oh, well, that's a monster over there, and you're, you'll try <laughs> to walk the opposite direction, and your character will be like, I should go see if that person needs help. It's like, <laughs> come on, man, that's a monster. Like, everything's, yeah. everything's covered in fog, and occasionally it'll switch and suddenly everything's like extra monstrous and like bloody rust all <laughs> over the walls instead of just like f fog and kind of derelict um it's not so explicit in this story but anyway let's get it oh so the god the town is called dungorth <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I was very curious why this writer decided to set it in a Scottish town because that doesn't come into play at all that it's Scotland and it's not quite like I don't get the feeling that this person is very familiar with Scotland so that was yeah. a strange choice to me yeah I think that they just probably discovered the word layered and <laughs> yeah. were like oh, I need to use that because the phrase the Laird of Dungorth is said a lot which is the name of the inn where uh, nameless main character is staying. I forget. I was mm -hmm. just I was doing a uh, an episode recently, and my guest came up with a name for the nameless creepypasta main character, and it was like Paul uh -huh. or something. Because uh, okay. one of the things that I never expected to notice uh, after doing 150 of these uh, goddamn stories is <laughs> the main character is almost always nameless. I'm gonna say almost always uh in most cases nameless even on no sleep when they have like a username they just always talk in of i and no one ever yeah. addresses them by name and this is one of those <laughs> i think that makes sense for a short story especially it really just is a shorthand for like the main character doesn't matter you are the main character yeah mm -hmm. oh man i wish that one of these would be written in second person uh oh yeah that would be really good. like a horror version of um <laughs> of bright lights big city <laughs> or a creepy series of uh, like letter correspondence in the 1700s. <laughs> oh, the well, the I think the place where the epistolary novel lives on is in creepypasta in a way, mm, uh, because like I I go back to uh, Candle Cove a lot. That oh, is that's true. In yes. the yeah, it's not correspondence it by does. letters, but it is correspondence by web forum. Uh, mm -hmm. Like as if someone copied and pasted the text of a web forum and. 
a lot of no sleep posts are they take the form both literally and narratively of a reddit post detailing some spooky event that happened to the poster mm-hmm. well, that is true i yeah. do like a good format for things like a, a structure that really constricts the story yeah yeah we get a lot of um uh flophouse podcast host elliot kalen's least favorite uh narrative <laughs> intro uh a lot of no sleep posts will start with like i uh my my mother always told me a legend about <laughs> or like i i never thought that the the spooky stuff of my town would affect me in any way but oh dear reader it did <laughs> Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's true. And actually, I think this one even opens. Yeah, this one opens with that. The, the events yeah. of the past several days have both shaken my understanding of the world <laughs> and left me with a disheartened and perplexed disposition. Yeah, it totally feels like uh, uh, it's a very like Lovecraft intro. I think to be like mm-hmm. also both in the heightened nature of the language and the person just being like, I saw some things I can't possibly understand. And I've barely yeah. lived to relate you the tale. <laughs> yeah, it's. It, I get very confused because the protagonist is just sort of a narrator to tell us the story of this other guy, John R. Yeah, uh, let's get in specifically yeah. into some of the stuff that John R. saw. Walk us through it. So he uh, goes to this hill and there's nobody around and he sees a gate. He opens the gate and goes up a path, which seems well trodden. So he, he starts to think that the um, townspeople are playing a prank and they do just go up here and they just tell tourists it's creepy. Uh, but as he goes further up, uh, the landscape seems weird and wrong to him. He's having trouble t- uh, telling how far he's come up the hill. And as he's decided he's just going to go back, he takes a selfie and he takes some pictures of the landscape. And then he sees that in his picture, something he didn't notice in person is that there is a church. So he decides his curiosity is getting the better of him. He's going to go check out that church. And he finds a small church that is part partially ruined. Uh, the roof is caving in, and debris has covered the door, I think, and he uh, looks in, and he can see that there's an altar, and there's symbols and words around it, and he wants to find out more. Uh, so he decides he's going to move the debris, he's going to get into the building, and he can hear noises, I think, just strange, creepy, uh, whispery noises, and he starts to have visions of a congregation worshipping in this church, while a priest uh, rages about hellfire, and the congregation cowers, but he continues to make his way in. Um, he does get to the altar, and he sees that they have carved- I should have brought this up- But someone has carved something about how the hill uh, belongs to them. We don't know who they are. Yep. And it's going to be given back to them. Yeah. By the people. Yeah, it's... Um, did, did, did John find the the book? Um, or does our narrator... No, I think our narrator the finds... The narrator does, yeah. Finds the, the book detailing the backstory of this uh, spooky town. Yep. Um, and then is it at this point that John uh, sees the this... this stories slender man Mm-hmm. Yeah, he sees that there is a stone uh, archway to stairs leading down below the church, and he decides he's not having anything to do with that, which is smart. I wouldn't either. <laughs> uh, he decides he's going to leave, but he keeps having more of these visions of the congregation, and he starts to see yeah, a figure, a dark figure, uh, creeping around. Yeah, I wouldn't and... have gone into the church in the first place. But, you <laughs> yeah, know, me either. Whatever. <laughs> Definitely not. 
Uh, he sees this. He starts to get freaked out. Uh, he runs back towards the door. He climbs over the rubble. Uh, it's blocking the door more from this side than he thought it was from the other side, or it's difficult for him to leave. But he does eventually manage to get out right before the thing reaches him from the sounds of it. But in that process, uh, a piece of wood that was sticking up out of the debris is jammed into his side. So he has a large flesh wound. Yeah, and like he instinctively grabs at it, which is a bad mm. idea. If yeah. you if if something <laughs> impales you and does not just like poke you and come out or pass through, you should leave it there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but he's got to get away from this creepy crawly. Yeah. So he gets out of the church and the uh, colors seem weird. Uh, d- the sound of the area, the sky looks weird. But he's running. He's determined he's going to run back down the mountain. Uh, he runs. Oh, he finds some stones near the back of the church, like a Stonehenge type of thing uh, that gives him a terrible, dizzy, horrified feeling. And then he sort of comes to and realizes he's just in a graveyard and those stones aren't actually there, but this creature is around. He can hear it again. So he's running. This is the part I thought that was written really well because it did build a tension in me while I was reading it. Mm. That it's very like, oh, you have to get away. And he's running. He's confused. He keeps seeing the church again. He's running in circles. He hears the creature. Uh, there's a few times where he falls and he's so injured that he thinks he won't be able to keep on, but fear drives him on. And he does make it back to the path and he runs back down the mountain and eventually he's able to sort of outrun the creature past its boundaries because he can hear it behind him, but he gets to the gate. He doesn't realize it's the gate until he reaches it, but he gets to the gate, he opens it, he gets out, and the creature seems to be contained behind the gate. Yeah, there's some kind of like magical barrier that keeps this uh, long figure from following him. Which, you know, I guess it makes sense that they just tell people not to go up there. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, because if the ghosts can't leave, then it's not a problem that needs solving. Just don't go, don't go up that hill. It's just a ghost zoo at that point. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, and then he passes out, right? Yeah, I think so. He passes out by his car and he wakes up back in the town. People have brought him into the town. Is that right? Uh, yeah. No. He, like he I don't understand this part. Awareness <laughs> left him. And then uh, he, he, the second part starts with he awoke to the silence of the earth. Um, and there's a bunch. Oh, uh, I. Oh, mis- so he's still out there. Yeah. Okay. I, I misunderstood this part um, because the person reading it uh, did a bad job. Uh, wisps of broken grass touched his cheek. I'm pretty sure the person who read it to me said broken glass. Um, (laughs) And I was like, "That okay, I guess the wind's really strong and the broken glass is very small. Okay, Mm -hmm. sure. Uh, Maybe it's like fiberglass. Yeah, just floating around asbestos. Yeah, wisps of broken grass makes sense, though. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, this... I, I get it when you're doing a two-hour reading. Sometimes some mistakes will get through. There were a lot of mistakes in this <laughs> audio version that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll call the person out, Creeps McPasta, because uh, <laughs> that's, that's a bad name. Um, 
the, the I think the two big YouTubers are Creeps McPasta and Mr. Creepypasta. Uh, and mm. they're, they're the big, like, YouTube readings. And I've dunked on Mr. Creepypasta on here before because he does not edit, uh, correctly, uh, his stories. Um, I don't, I feel comfortable guessing that that person is okay being referred to as he if they self-identify as Mr. Creepypasta. Um, yeah, that's probably safe. But if, but if I'm incorrect, it's because I'm a dumb asshole, not a bigot. I'm just, I'm just stupid. I'm not hateful. So please just let me know and I'll do better next time. Thank you. Um, You're one I, of those dogs wearing the little jacket that says, please help me. <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. Uh, but Creeps McPasta, um, even more problems. Like, there's a bunch of parts where they'll be like, um, they'll start a sentence and s- slip up, and then just start the sentence again, instead of editing out their slip oh, up. Oh no! You oh, gotta... One thing I like to do when I record the stories for the Patreon is I'll read as far as I can, and if I make a mistake, I'll stop recording, and then go back like a sentence and keep reading, and then after I'm done, I'll have like eight different tracks in Audacity, <laughs> and I'll just like delete the extra and the spaces between and it's fine but mm, for, yeah it's it's like fairly simple even when i'm recording like a, a 40 minute story like psychosis which uh, boy mm. that took me probably like an hour and a half to two hours to actually record because it ended up being a f- <laughs> like 40 minute file i didn't realize it was so long um I guess if you're doing a two-hour one and you just want to read straight through, your strategy is going to be to read straight through and decide to go back and edit it later. But mm-hmm. mm, you can't. You got to mark. You got to mark <laughs> those get edit really points. Get tired. Decide not to edit at all. <laughs> exactly. You got to mark those edit points by stopping recording so that you'll know exactly where to edit out the mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just my tip to you, Creeps McPasta, or Mr. Creepypasta, or if any other readers of Creepypasta uh, for YouTube <laughs> listen to this. Um, I mean, they probably don't. None of them, I don't think. Uh, very few people listen to this show in general. I doubt I doubt any of them are uh, popular or successful people online, because I mm-hmm. feel like by now they would have told uh, other people to listen to the show. Um, so, uh, I <laughs> Anyway, if if you do listen and you are famous, tell other people to listen to the show. <laughs> yeah, what are you Make doing? Do come free on, publicity for this show. Hurry up! Come on, yeah, come on. <laughs> if we're Twitter mutuals and for? I don't and I don't know you in real life, um, well, and you listen to the show, let me know because my assumption is that all of my Twitter mutuals who don't interact with me on a regular basis have me muted and don't want to hear what I have to say, <laughs> so I don't promote my uh, podcasts to that audience at all. But if that's untrue, let me know. I'm going to get some tweets in September that I'm not going to understand. Yeah. <laughs> People will be like, no, your show's great. And they'll be like, hey, fuck you, I know my show's great. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't remember telling you to tweet this at me, so I'm mad about it. All right, let's finish uh, talking about what John yes. did so that we can talk about what uh, Nameless Narrator did. <laughs> 
Uh, so John wakes up, uh, gets himself back to town, uh, somehow treats his injury. I don't remember that being co- covered very well, but he survives. And he is now sort of a pariah in town. People will avoid him, and he's sort of marked. Yeah, he uh, seemed to have passed out on the ground for, like, uh, at least several hours, mm-hmm. um, and the the wound was still uh, bleeding. Um, and it doesn't seem like, uh, boy, the, it just kind of skips over. He's just like, ah, hand wave, he was fine. And then he got mm-hmm. to me and told me the story. And then, then it's now. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the thing he tells the narrator, which seems uh, unbelievable, and he says it wild-eyed, and the narrator doesn't believe him, is that he cannot leave town. There's right. always some strange event that will prevent him from leaving. The bus breaks down, his car crashes. Uh, he's tried to walk out, but there was a mudslide. I think just strange things that stop him leaving. Yeah, this is also a very Silent Hill thing. Uh, I'm not sure if it's an aspect of the game but I know in the 2006 motion picture Silent Hill starring uh, a couple actresses and then Sean Bean is there too for some reason uh, weird, weirdly he doesn't die um, wow, like, I, think every, I think everybody else in the movie dies except <laughs> Sean Bean yeah, maybe his first uh, living role <laughs> yeah um, anyway it's like in, in that part of it is that the people like even if they think they've left town they really mm. haven't left town like mm-hmm. they'll they'll drive and every road leads back to silent hill or like they'll go back to their town and everything is still covered in fog and there's no people around mm-hmm. yeah that's a very mythical but then also twilight zone kind of thing to have yeah. happen mhm <laughs> So, uh, then our narrator decides that this guy is blowing things out of proportion, and he's gonna check out the mountain for himself. So Yeah, yeah <laughs> he's trying to, like, help him. He's doing this to be like, mm-hmm. I'm gonna help you, John, I'm gonna yeah. go, I'm gonna first make, I'm gonna first prove that you're a liar, and then mm-hmm. I'm gonna give you a ride to Glasgow. Yeah. <laughs> So he goes to the mountain. He has a bunch of the same problems that John has, which is narratively a little bit boring. To me, it was, anyway. Yeah. He goes it's, through a lot of the same things. It's also very weird, because what I thought they were going to do was just, like... Uh, he'd go and it would everything would be fine, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and it does do that at first. <laughs> at first, he goes and is like, nah, "There's nothing unusual here," but then yeah. it does start to get a little spooky. Yeah, he also goes and finds the church, and for him, the door is not blocked with debris. He's able to get in just fine. It is still dark and spooky. He sees the altar. He, unlike John, sees this these stairs down and decides he has to go check that out. Uh, so he goes down underground. He estimates he's like 50 feet underground and he thinks it's strange that they would have dug all this out below the church, but uh, he goes into a large room and he gets the sort of psychic echoes of people cowering down there, uh, afraid for their lives, uh, just about to be killed. Well, I'm, j- I'm just realizing we got some of the order wrong. Part one, oh. does, part one does not end with John escaping. Uh, he passes out while still in the thing and then some local townsfolk help him finally escape at the end of it. Um, okay. It's it's weird because it's 
part two, but then also in the story, there's little parts designated by Roman numerals. <laughs> uh, so part three yeah. overall, um, yeah, it's, it's this, this, the part designated by a three is where finally John's story, uh, <laughs> ends with him getting out of the gate. And then anyway, I, I just wanted to, to yeah. clarify there. We do know that John was helped back to town. Uh, didn't okay, just yes. like pass out and wake up. Yes. Although it is a bit suspicious that he recovered from this terrible injury. But yeah. putting that aside, <laughs> uh, our narrator is uh, in this large room uh, feeling that the congregation, uh, the, the same one that John sort of had a feeling about and sort of visions of, had come down here and were killed somehow, that he finds a bunch of bones, I believe, uh, human bones, and he keeps going. <laughs> he goes into another room where he finds a huge stone block that's been pushed aside from a huge pit, like a uh, tomb. And he can see that the pit is all burned out, so something was burned in there. And yeah, it's, it seems to be... Uh, oh, and then this is where he finds the book and sort oh, of... Right puts to then we get another flashback in this the whole thing with john is a flashback <laughs> and then we come back to the present get a little bit of this guy doing his own adventure and then we get a flashback to the uh 15th century yeah the 15th mm -hmm. century a group of um uh, i love the way this sentence goes i think that it's <laughs> yeah. In the 15th century, a group of refugees came to that area in search of a place they could call home. The valleys, or glens as they are known in Scotland, were uninhabited <laughs> at that time. A group of refugees, not specified where they're coming from. Yeah, what are they? What do they need so. refuge from in the 1400s? I think you. I think that's just people. Like you just <laughs> people just wandered around back then, right? Vikings, maybe? That seems late for Vikings, though. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're, like, town <laughs> anyway. burned down, I guess technically you're a refugee if oh, some kind of true. barbarian horde burned your town down. It's just a very, it's very modern verbiage and seems like a weird thing to put on people from a long time ago, even if it's technically yeah. correct. Yeah, definitely. Uh... Uh, so uh, the the um, uh, protagonist finds a suspiciously perfectly fine book that's very old. He opens up, and I don't quite remember most of what's in this book. It's a story of the people coming to the town uh, to to make a town. Uh, the priest deciding that they have to build a church on this hill, and people starting to become a bit suspicious of the priest being overzealous. But they do build the church, and yeah. then. Uh, People start to get sick. There's like a lot of disease, illness, and death in the community. Yeah, and it, uh, the priest is like, it's these standing stones. Um, oh, yes. It's, it's some old, um, old heretic druids um and uh that is like what's making people sick and then he is like we have to build a church to get rid of the sickness um mm -hmm. but that building the church makes the sickness get worse um mm -hmm. and then so they come down off the hill um and the the priest yeah. go starts to go crazier and crazier um everyone like gathers in the church and the priest is still just like rambling and uh being like the people who left us are very bad um, and everyone's having like really wicked nightmares uh, and then eventually the villagers uh, throw the priest in a pit and burn him 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that is what that burned grave was. Yeah. Uh, and our protagonist realizes that they'd put a stone over the burned grave, but the stone is now pushed aside, and there are finger marks in the soot around the edge of the uh, grave as if something had climbed out. Yeah. There's nothing in the grave. Yeah, and um, despite having heard this spooky story from John and then read this spooky book, <laughs> the narrator is still like, like did they rebury? Did they move the bu- Come yeah. on, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he starts to notice uh, movements and sounds. Uh, it gets a bit confusing because there's a point where he goes back up into the church, hears too many sounds, ghosts, creatures that he runs back down and hides in the grave for a bit until the sounds die down. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, strange. it's it's very. There's a lot of like. There are certain types of stories where you can have your characters behave purely in the interest of advancing the plot. A horror mm-hmm. story is not one of those types of stories. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it instantly breaks the spookiness if the characters are behaving um, in any other way besides, like, fight-or-flight emotional reactions to the things <laughs> that are happening. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the scariest stories are the ones where the people react in realistic ways, which is mm-hmm. why people talk about the dumb, like, dumb slasher tropes. One of the biggest ones is... Like, everyone going unarmed and alone and splitting into groups and, mm-hmm. like, yeah. <laughs> going out into the woods and being being like, Hey, ghosts, you can't haunt me, even though I saw you burn a Ouija board in my house. <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. that type of behavior is unrealistic uh, and therefore not scary. Mm-hmm, that's true. Um, yeah, so he hides in the grave for a bit, the noises die down, he realizes he'll never get out of here alive unless he can go back through the church to get out through the door he came in through. So he musters up his courage and runs up the stairs and runs through the church, and nothing much happens, I think? Like, yeah, he it seems kind of fine. <laughs> yeah, he gets out just fine, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, uh well, then he sees, um, he, he sees this burned... Mm, yes. Thing, right? Yeah, something with white a uh, white shroud and then burned black flesh and no eyes. Oh, that. right. Then he get he, he gets back to the inn before he has his final encounter with the monster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. He gets out. He gets to the inn and then he goes to John's room and he sees uh, this charred corpse carrying John's uh, crumpled and lifeless body. Yep. Well, he 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 <laughs> he's realized something that we haven't realized yet. Reading. Where he comes out of the gate and he realizes he's okay, he's made it. Oh, he has to get back to town immediately. He can't get back fast enough because he knows what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really weird. Um, I saw. Okay, I don't like when a narrate when a writer has decided what's going to happen and that's the reason mm-hmm. why the characters know. Um, yeah, <laughs> I went and saw Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom today, and there's a. Like, I I wouldn't even call it a twist. If you wanted to see the movie, uh, you've probably seen it by now. But it turns out that 
the dinosaurs are actually being exploited by millionaires because that's the <laughs> plot of every Jurassic Park movie. Uh, yep. So like, sure. oh yeah, some well-meaning animal lovers are being manipulated by millionaires into dinosaur helping. Um, <laughs> so when uh, like they take Chris Pratt and they're like, that raptor who you were friends with, we need you to help us find it so that we can <laughs> take it to a nice island where it can run around and play with all of the other dinosaurs forever and yeah. ever. And that's um, island upstate. <laughs> exactly. They are literally like the <laughs> island, the Jurassic Park island's gonna blow up. We have this other island where we're just gonna put all the dinosaurs instead. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. uh, okay, and good stuff. Yeah, so they take Chris Pratt, well, first they get um, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard and they're like, you need to get your ex-boyfriend Chris Pratt to come help us. <laughs> um, and also we need you to go there too because the security system is locked and you were the person who ran the park so you can unlock it. Mm -hmm. uh, so like there's uh, thin reasons for the main cast from the first movie to come back but there are reasons. Um, <laughs> anyway, the, the reason I bring this up is because uh, Chris Pratt finds the, his friend Blue, the dinosaur Blue, um, and then all the army guys just like trank Blue and he gets mad at them. And so then they trank him and leave him <laughs> good. and which is reasonable because he's like getting in their face and then when he wakes up and go they like they don't have to do any of this but they track him and they lock the building that Bryce Dallas Howard and her young sidekick are in and then they're <laughs> leaving and then when Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard meet up again they both are like they've been they've betrayed us they're going to sell the dinosaurs <laughs> How do you know? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, like, it, it's a, it does totally seem like they're trying to leave you on the island, but nobody has said that they're trying to leave you on the island. And also, none of them were like, now that we've got this dinosaur, we can take it back to America and sell it for yeah. a million dollars. <laughs> and this story does something very similar, where because the author knows that this spooky thing is happening, the narrator is like, oh, Oh, I have to go stop that spooky thing that I know is happening mm -hmm. because I exist in the yep. writer's head also. <laughs> I think there was meant to be a bit of a clue because something I forgot when he he's running back down the map is he can hear this creature, which we now know is, I guess, the ghost of the priest. He can hear it following him, but then at some point he hears it move away and then it doesn't follow him anymore. So I think, <laughs> I suppose that's supposed to be him realizing that it's gone. It actually went somewhere else. Uh, so <laughs> that was the foreshadowing, I guess. Yeah, it's really weird because, like, why would why would he not just be like, oh, phew, I guess I got out of its hunting range, and so I don't have to yep. worry anymore. Yeah. Because <laughs> as far as he knows from his, from his experience and from John's story, it can't go past that gate. Yes, exactly. But, so. but for some reason he intuits that not only has it gone past the gate, but it's gone and uh, grabbed John. <laughs> yes, that is what he has realized. So he runs back to the... Uh, hotel as fast as he can. He hears screams from upstairs, and everyone downstairs pretending that this isn't happening. <laughs> and he's yelling at them. They have to go help him, and no one's saying anything. So he runs up by himself to John's room, opens the door, and sees that the priest ghost has come in through the window and killed John, and is now taking his body and climbs back out the window. Yeah, it's, um... 
So an aspect of this story I don't think we touched on is everyone in the town sort of treats John like a pariah, which now we understand is reasonable. That, yeah. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah I'm bad at paying attention to my own podcast <laughs> that I'm currently recording. <laughs> uh, yeah, everyone is sort of like, in addition to being like, don't go up that hill, they're also like... Uh, not interacting with John, which makes sense. He's haunted by some kind of boogeyman. Yeah, he's ranting about how he can't leave town. He seems like a bit of a strange person anyway, so... Yeah. Um, uh, so, oh, we so now- totally forgot... The, yeah, go ahead. The, book, the book that the narrator found about how everything was terrible has a page missing at the end of it. Yeah, and then he finds the last page mm-hmm. in John's room and it says no one yes. no one leaves in English. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> it's a, on, on a page with a bunch of stuff in like magical f- fake believe language, it says just <laughs> in English, no one leaves. Like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, cool. You didn't have to <laughs> decode anything. Good job, I guess. <laughs> Yep. And then the whole story ends in classic creepypasta fashion where he's saying, but I think everything's fine. Like, things seem a bit weird. People aren't being nice to me anymore, but I'm leaving today, so there's no problem. I'm just waiting for the bus. It seems to be a little bit late, though. Yeah. The end. The end. Uh, <laughs> and then update from the author. Hi, I've self-published this on Amazon. Uh, and you don't have to buy it. It's totally fine to just read it here on creepypasta.com. <laughs> but if you want to, I'm clicking the link. Oh, it's free with Kindle Unlimited. Oh, nice. So I, I could just have this for free. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's, yeah, it looks to be 99 cents if you want it otherwise. Um, it's pretty good. It's got like a spooky cover if you want to read this on your Kindle. If for some reason, <laughs> if you have a Kindle that can only read Kindle things instead of like a regular tablet, like a normal adult. <coughs> Um, so how did you feel about this story? Did you enjoy it? Um, I think overall I did. Uh, it's a bit formulaic, and I don't understand why specific details were in there. Like Scotland, there's really no need for it to yep. be Scotland. Mm-hmm. Uh, I but think, yeah, overall. I think, uh, looking back on it, doing the episode, I liked it more than when I was mm-hmm. listening to the reading, but that might just be down to the quality of the audio production itself. I probably should have just read it, um... But it's, yeah, it's, um, it's got an interesting structure, but some of the specifics of the language, like we mentioned, are a little, like, eh, boring. Yeah, using too many long words, like, unnecessarily, so that you get to a point where, like, I know, we both know what these words mean, you don't have to use them. (laughs) Yeah, uh, like, just ran, like, I just looked randomly at the page and found such an unnatural phrase here. John found (laughs) it difficult to convey to me in simple words what that was, but he described it as the rules of nature upturned. <laughs> no one yeah. no one has described anything that way in a hundred years. And those are the simple terms. <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, he's tra- me a bit. This type of writing reminds me a bit of a Thomas Kincaid painting, where technically the artist has some talent, but they are not delving deep into it with any uh, uh, soul. So it's just sort of a surface level thing. Like this person knows some big words. Yeah, they sure do. They're doing a good job there. But 
Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I think that's a little unfair to Thomas Kincaid. Can we dunk on Norman Rockwell instead? <laughs> no, absolutely not. He was a very talented artist, and he used his art for good social justice causes. Oh, did he? I thought yes, he sure. just drew, like, 50s white people uh, <laughs> tripping over their own suspenders <laughs> no, to, to his... hang up at the dentist's office. <laughs> One of his famous paintings is of the little girl who was the first uh, girl to be in an integrated school. Ruby Bridges, was her, is that her name? I'm not sure. Uh, you say I, was. She is alive. I digress. She oh, that's right. She, she so just young. turned like 60 or something. Uh, 63. Gosh, that is too young to be literally the first person to be in an integrated school. Yeah, yeah. Ruby Bridges, you got it right. Um, and the painting is called The Problem We All Live With, so this is a very good painting. Well, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I um, I was excited to discover that um, Dr. Seuss did like political cartoons before he oh, started doing yes. BS. There's like a, a one... The racist it's... Japanese ones? Is that what you're going to mention? Oh, no, I was going to mention oh. a, good, a good one where a mother is reading to her children. Um, uh, boy, I want to find it. Uh... It's it's like an anti-Nazi uh, cartoon, and boy, if I just click Google Images here, yeah, it's here. Um, it's a mother labeled America First reading to Cindy Lou Who and another child a book titled Adolf the Wolf, and the caption reads, And the wolf chewed up the children and spit out their bones, but those were foreign children and it didn't really matter. Um, <laughs> which is a very cutting criticism of... Um, I think this is from, like, 1941, so it's, like, right before we joined the war. Um, yeah, there's also, of course, in World War, like, any World War II thing, uh, a lot of racist Japanese um, yeah. propaganda. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, pretty pretty wild. Sure uh, but it was interesting to see that yes. Dr. Seuss was uh, politically motivated and, like, pro-intervention, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which I don't think a lot of people were. What actually year was this cartoon? Now I'm looking at it. It didn't actually have a date <laughs> on it. Uh, oh, yeah, October 1941, so literally, like, two months before Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. Um, the Pearl Harbor was 41, right? Oh, I do not know enough about 20th century history. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's weird. Uh, yeah, it's the least interesting of these centuries to me, which I know is terrible to say, but... Oh, uh, yeah, it was, ni- it was 1941. I thought it was, but I wasn't 100% sure, because we were only in that war for four years, despite the fact that it had been going on since, like, the mid-30s mm-hmm. um, in some capacity. When did um, when did Hitler invade the Rhineland, which is popularly... Was it 39? The- I feel like things really kicked off in 39, didn't they? Oh, things did absolutely start popping off in 1939, <laughs> re-death camps, but the, uh, mm. the occupation of the Rhineland was in 1936. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it had the war had been going on for a solid five years uh, officially. This mm. is um, it was this because this was the the violation of the Treaty of Versailles. Um, okay. Which uh, is popularly uh, talked about as the beginning of World War Two, which mm, I think kind of ignores um, the Pacific Front, uh, the Japanese mm. invasion of Manchuria, for <laughs> example. Um, yeah, it, people always want to have the one 
one thing that started any given war, but that's never how it is. It's always a build-up. Yeah. Imperceptible build-up. It's like, you can look back a hundred years later and be like, that was certainly a a point. Shooting um, Archduke Ferdinand. (laughs) But that didn't actually make that much of a difference. (laughs) No, that made a huge difference. Are you kidding me? (laughs) You can put him on all the papers. (laughs) Gavrilo Princip is uh, so responsible for so much of world history just because he happened to be dejectedly eating a sandwich on the right street at the right Mm -hmm. time. Uh, That bastard. (laughs) Uh, I I, I don't know how you can say uh, 20th century history is uninteresting when so so much of it hinges on a sad guy eating a sandwich in the wrong place. Yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> it's that guy's story I already thought was fascinating because of how much happened because of World War I um, mm-hmm. and how um, he sort of sparked it. Um, but then the fact that he like sort of didn't even mean to was very interesting as well. Yeah. Did you ever hear about all the, I only heard about this in the past few years, but all the other uh, political figures who were meant to be assassinated the same day that Lincoln was assassinated? Whoa, really? Who else? Yeah, they went after, I'm going to get something wrong, someone's going to write to you, but I think the vice president and maybe like the secretary of state, there were different people assigned to assassinate these different men, but they all got, it all got botched in some way except Lincoln. That's the one that actually went off. But I, yeah, no one ever talks about (laughs) these attempts on all these other uh, state figures. (sighs) Interesting. Um, It is. Anyway, uh, what's the spookiest part of this story (laughs) to you? (laughs) Uh, To me, it was probably... I have a big fear of sort of ghosts and ghostly imagery, so I was really thinking it was going to be uh, when our protagonist is in the church hiding from the ghost, but I think Actually, the scariest part for me was when John was telling his story of trying to run away from the church, but he would always come back to the church and everything was vertiginous and he was losing blood. That was pretty scary. Uh, I think for me, the spookiest part is the fact that the narrator straight up does not believe John. Um, (laughs) Because you as the reader know, like, oh, Mm -hmm. everything John is saying literally happened and is true. Mm -hmm. Um, it, It did make me doubt it a little, but then as soon as he went to the place and it was still spooky i'm like oh okay yeah everything john said was true it's not like a (laughs) poison gas situation like you but i oh man it causes me so much stress when uh someone is not believed in a spooky Mm -hmm. story yeah Um, me too we talked about hereditary on the show a couple weeks ago and uh a thing that continually happens in that movie that is reasonable is a character will be like contacting ghosts is totally real and everyone mm-hmm. will be like um i don't think so but like the way they're acting you're kind of on the other person's side even when yeah. like, <laughs> they're like very... i don't think so time for me to get back to my house where all the furniture moves are at <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> like like you're seeing supernatural stuff happening you're still like is it happening or is there a gas leak in this person's house because the person who believes in the supernatural stuff is acting pretty weird. <laughs> yes. 
Um, <sighs> anyway, I think that's all we have to say about this story and, yeah. oh boy, a bunch of other things. We went a little long on this one, huh? Oh, well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, it was a long story. We'll go faster on the other ones. Uh, where can the people find you in the ways that you would like them to, online or otherwise? Uh, they- <laughs> uh, no, no thanks. <laughs> no one comes seek me out in person, please. Okay. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at HeronBird. Uh, my account is locked, but that is just from nosy coworkers. So if you ask to uh, follow me, that will be fine. You will be allowed to. And uh, that's about it. Yeah. Uh, and if you are one of Louise's co-workers listening to this, um, don't tell her boss. <laughs> yeah, beat it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really mean. Now you know how cool your friend is, but also, I, you know, I bet if you search, if I search Louisa Heron in an incognito tab, all of these podcasts are the first thing to show up. Oh, probably. So but if- I don't work with people who are extremely internet savvy, and I'm pretty sure most of them don't know what a podcast is, so I'm in the clear there, I think. Let's see, you're not on Facebook. Facebook. The first things that show up are True. Facebook and Instagram, and then your Twitter, and then author Louisa Heron on my website. So your recipes, <laughs> oh, and yeah. then Mastodon. Yeah, it, oh, you have to get yes. to the second page to see any of your podcast appearances. Oh, weird. Okay, so oh, Facebook. I always good. wondered. I quit Facebook very quickly after I joined. This was ten years ago, maybe whenever Facebook was really starting, yeah. and way before it got super popular, and everyone couldn't believe that I didn't have a Facebook. But by then I was already like, no, I don't want this. Uh, but I started it, I closed it, and then I read a thing like, if you close it, it isn't really gone. You have to go delete it. So I did do that, but I think they probably still have something on me. I mean, you're not in the search results. You just have a common well, name. Well, good. <laughs> oh, yeah, I have a super common name. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone uh, knows my name. Also, it does, like, almost results. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of Louise Heron also showing mm-hmm. up, or Heron spelled different. Uh, I get a lot of, like, uh, steamship rolls from the 1800s where there's a Louisa somebody and somebody else Heron is listed as booking passage. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so you can find me on Twitter, J3FK, Snapchat and Instagram, JeffJK. Email me, Jeff at funtimes.online. Go to um, go to coolmemes.biz or funtimes.online, <laughs> both of which are my website. I forgot. Uh, I love those. <laughs> yesterday, when I was editing, I realized I I wanted to um, I wanted to I don't think I set up the coolmemes.biz redirect, but I'll just do that now because by the time people try it, uh, and by the time this episode goes up, it'll be there. Uh, coolmemes.biz is really fun. Let's manage. Uh, you can go to. Uh, Creepypods to fan group on Facebook. People like to talk about the show there. I usually post about it. Um, that's all. That's all we have to say about this. Uh, don't don't go on a hill. Yeah, don't read the comments. <laughs> I usually end with a line from the story, but I already closed oh, sorry. the tab. Okay. No, I'm just going to end it there. <laughs> Thank you.